Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the next Pac-Man podcast, as hopefully you listened to the one before this, where we talked about extreme marine mammals, and the last one we talked about was the blue whale. This is kind of a follow-up, but without purposely being a follow-up, um, <laughs> about blue whales and fin whales. Um, but first off, I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And so this week, we are going to be talking about blue whale and fin whale hybrids which hybrids are just so cool to think about in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so, but this one is uh, a paper that just recently came out and it is uh, from the, uh, wait, where's the? It's Evolutionary uh, Applications, Applications is the journal. Oh. Yeah, Evolutionary yeah. Applications. Uh, evidence of unidirectional hybridization and second generation adult hybrid between the two largest animals on earth the fin whale and the blue whale, the fin and blue whales. So, and that is by Pampule et al. There's a, a bunch of authors, but that's the primary author. Uh, and this was all uh, basically done in Iceland to start us off with the context of where we are. Yeah, which I was just saying to Cindy before we started recording, it's so interesting because I don't, like I grew up in Northern Scotland, which is not really that far from Iceland. And I do not think about blue whales being in Iceland. So that was, it was really interesting to read this just for that alone. It's like, oh wait, what? <laughs> wait a minute. And, and yeah. when I was discussing that, I was like, well, I don't, I don't live close to Iceland. So I wouldn't have thought about it anyway. But I think in general is because we just don't know a lot about blue whales. Like even though they are very large and seemingly like they should be able to be easily found. <laughs> They aren't. And so we don't know a lot about them. So it's probably just not one that's really talked about much either. Right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, these two uh, whales, uh, as I said, they're the two largest. So the blue whale and then the fin whale. Um, but the size difference is quite large where the blue whales are up to 100 feet or so um, and up to 200 tons. And the fin whales are only about 80 feet only uh, and about <laughs> half that, something like 60 tons. So Quite a big difference, and that's going to become important in a little bit as we talk about this. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what the the hybrids are always interesting because hybrids are supposed to be dead ends, right? If you have a hybrid between two species, they're generally thought to be not reproductively uh, capable. Right, they they're not going to mate back and then continue. Um, but also, if they can, if they are, that is a way for speciation to occur, so a new species to happen. But in order for that to happen, you have to have a place where the hybrids start mating with each other. Right. Because if they mate right. back with one of the original population, they it kind of dilutes things. Right. Which that's the thing, like you said, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about from, you know, as, as we move forward with, with this podcast, like it is interesting to kind of bear that context in mind just for how, what, what the potential impacts of that hybridization can be on the population. For both good and bad. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, what, 
wh why this might be occurring um, possibly more than we think um, for cetacean species is that because a lot of them, at least especially these large baleen whales, were hunted close to extinction um, in, during the whaling periods. And some are still actually hunted. Um, and we'll talk about that too. Um, but when you reduce the population sizes and if the animals are closely related to one another, it will facilitate or make it easier for hybridization to occur. Because if you don't have enough of your own species, well, you'll go for the next best thing. Because as animals, we want to survive and reproduce. That's what you want to pass on your genes. That's what drives you. Um, so if there's not enough around, you'll mate with the next closest thing that you have. And so if you have those reduced populations, hybridization may happen more, more often. Right. And that's the thing. So, I mean, a lot, you know, a lot of these larger whale species were hunted through whaling. So, I mean, you know, not just that, that's specifically why they were, <laughs> how their populations got to be so decimated was with the huge whaling boom that happened. Um, kind yeah. of in the in the 18th century and the 19th century yeah early 1900s. Um, yeah so i mean also i guess it'd be the 20th century never mind i always get my centuries muddled up i know because it's the um, one of, yeah so 20 i yeah, know 18th, 20th century 19th, 19th, 19th century. <laughs> yeah early 20th century yeah um so yeah just just to put that in context so this is specifically due to intense whaling activity on these specific species and blue whales in particular have not recovered well. So many of the other species have recovered at least somewhat, um, are doing okay. Some are doing very well now at this point. But blue whales, again, we don't really know too much why because we don't know a lot about them. They just have recovered much more slowly and they're not, they're not doing as well as other ones. Yeah, and I mean, if, if, you, if you listen to last week's episode um, on extreme marine mammals when Cindy was talking about the blue whale, it might give you a little bit more context for perhaps why these, uh, why this specific species of whale was targeted more because they are huge. So yeah. if your purpose of whaling is getting meat from the whale or getting blubber from the whale or getting oil from the whale, if you could, the biggest whale you can get is the <laughs> one you want to go after, you know, right. that just makes all sense. The all the same effort and you get that much more out of that particular species. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, you can listen to last week's episode for a little bit of context as to like how big these guys are, but um, it, it kind of makes sense. Like it, it, it's understandable why these were perhaps the first ones that really started getting hit hard. Yeah. Um, and presumably at that point, there were a lot more of them to, um, to hunt as well. There were, and I, I've seen different estimates, but there was something like you know, millions of animal of whales that were hunted. Yeah. So there were so a lot. Sad. Are the, the population is a small percentage of what it used to be. Um, and just, again, also, if you hear strange noises coming from my end, that is my five-month-old daughter. So <laughs> I don't have a whale. She seems, she seems to really like blue whales, too. So she might have she some does. stuff to say here. So they're super exciting. Um, <laughs> so traditionally, though, so how you hybrid, detecting hybrids is really hard because mm. Um, you, you know, sometimes they can look very much like, oh, that's like a half and half thing. Um, but a lot of times it's not that straightforward. And so really what you want to look at is genetics. Like you can say like, well, we're pretty sure that's a hybrid because of the morphological characteristics. But um, you can to be really sure you need those genetics. And so what's traditionally done to get those is um, biopsy sampling, um, which is can be very expensive. So imagine you're, you know, all right, let's go out in this boat and go search the ocean for blue whales and then hopefully find one and then hopefully get the dart and then pick it up and then try to do that again. So it's really expensive or it's done on stranded animals 
which you're not going to have that many blue whale strand because of where they are. And we talked about this in another episode. Um, but the the larger species that are more offshore less are less likely to strand and die because they're going to die out in open ocean and get eaten or whatever before they get to land. Right. So there's not going to be many of those in the first place. Um, and then the other way they get it is from Aboriginal or commercial whaling. Um, and so this is where it's interesting about this paper, which I didn't realize until I read it, is that the samples, uh, many of the samples that they have for this paper come from commercial whaling that is happening now. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. So it's what's the, the point that they that they brought up was that commercial whaling can provide unique and opportunistic access to these samples that we normally would not get. So although we don't think that whaling should be happening, um, if it is, this is at least information that we can get from that um, and get have some good come from these animals dying. Yeah, and it kind of ties into um, a previous episode where we were talking about different strategies and different ways of incorporating multiple platforms of opportunity in your research. And this is, I think, a really great example of that where it's something that, again, as a marine mammal researcher, it's not, you know, not necessarily a positive thing, but like you said, if you can actually utilize that to still get some information about these animals, that's a huge benefit of something that's, you know, potentially detrimental to the population. And as we get to the end of this, you'll see why this is can be is really important for the for the prognosis for blue whales down the line, their populations. Yeah. Um, so these results were really, really quite important. Um, so they've had, uh, it was as early as 1887 that the first blue and fin whale hybrid was um, suggested that they saw um, this animal. And then there were some other ones in 1986, 1989, then some in 2013 and 2018. And then there's this one guy, this one hybrid that's uh, alive, that uh, regularly visits a bay in Iceland um, since around 2012, which I thought was really cool. That's so cool. Also, it really just, it really surprised me how early on um, the whalers were actually recognizing hybrids. Like yeah, that was fascinating to me. Yeah, and so that really brings up again, like when you talk about fishermen and stuff, and you, you may you may not think that they would know the bio, you know, a lot about biology of the things, possibly, but they they're out there every day, so they're going to be able to tell you the difference between this one and that one because they're focused on which one they are getting, so they actually know quite a bit, just not in the uh, more you know college level or uh, scientific aspect of it. Right, but they well, can. Well, that's the thing. Like sometimes yeah. they're actually, yeah. I mean, sometimes they're actually a better quote unquote right. scientist because they are spending so much time studying those animals. Yeah, and they can in, tell you in, way more like in in the water instead of yeah. you know just out of books mm -hmm. and things like that. So they can be a very good source of information um, yeah. about the behavior of these animals, and because again, they're looking at the behavior, they're trying to figure out when they're <laughs> when they can take them. So yeah, you know, they'll be uh, they're very good. Um, you know, taking those observations. Yeah, for sure. So um, they took uh, the fin whale. So the, the methods of this where they basically were taking samples and doing DNA analysis. Um, they took um, the fin whale samples were from those killed in the commercial whaling. So I think that's the, the, the species that they in Iceland that they um, focus on, or at least. Yes. For the, um, yeah. And so the blue whale ones, however, were uh, from a couple stranded animals and then ones that had been biopsy darted by other research groups, I think, or themselves. Yeah. I'm not sure which one it was, but um, they are not from a commercial whaling thing. 
because <laughs> the uh, blue whales are endangered. So they are no longer allowed to be hunted. Right. Um, so they had uh, eight total uh, animals that they looked at. Um, and they're looking at microsatellites and mitochondrial DNA. Um, so <sighs> genetics is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> And even as a scientist too, I mean, it's interesting, but a lot of the methods I'm like, okay, you, mm -hmm, that's, yes, you did that, awesome. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna boil this down to just the, the very generics of it. They're looking at the number of alleles, which are the number, uh, like the types of the versions of the genes that they have. Um, so for example, eye color, you could have one for brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes, things like that. Each one of those would be a different allele. Um, so they're looking at how many of those they have, and that kind of goes to how diverse the population is, um, <clears throat> the size of those alleles, um, how often they are, they have two different alleles, so that's called a heterozygote, versus having two of the same alleles, um, and heterozygotes are generally thought to be a bit more um, healthy or uh, have get better fitness because they have more options, basically. There's, more uh, uh, diversity in their DNA. Mm -hmm. um, and then the departure from Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium, which is a whole thing about genetics, and you can look that up if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's an equilibrium of what you would expect if you know none of this, all this stuff occurred, and then when it deviates from that, then you can understand more about what the genetics are and the evolution of that. Um, and then they have this really cool program called New Hybrids, which I've never heard about before. No, I, me neither work with hybrids, um, but it's a program, a software program that somebody developed that helps to support um, the identification and uh, the back cross categories um, about the potential parents. So basically they can put in this the DNA from this hybrid and the, the software program will help them determine who was, who, who were the parents, what species were the parents. Right. And the interesting thing, too, is because they are using mitochondrial DNA in this study, the mitochondrial DNA specifically is inherited from the mother. So that doesn't show paternal gene information at all. Right. So that, that basically allowed, that's a reason why they had the mitochondrial DNA in this was simply to infer the direction of the hybridization. So Correct. was it the male or the female that was the mom or the dad? Right. Um, and the reason why you, the mitochondrial is from the mother is because the egg, you know, you, everybody starts off with an egg that has this mitochondria, that's your mother's mitochondria, um, and then the sperm comes in, fertilizes the egg, and so then the mitochondria are from your mother. The, the, the father only gives the DNA, basically. So it's really helpful when you'll see a lot of genetic studies done with mitochondrial DNA because, uh, for various reasons, but one thing is because we do know where you inherited that from. So it allows you to right. get a bit um, so getting into the results of it then, using these two different types of DNA, um, the microsatellite loci, loci just means the location of the genes, um, basically the diversity that they, that they found in those alleles, the, the number of alleles and how often they were um, had two different ones, those heterozygotes, um, was higher in the fin than the blue whale. Gotcha. And basically what that means is the fin whale has more genetic diversity. Right. You're going to boil it down. And so what they think then is that the, uh, well, I don't, actually, I don't think they explicitly said this, but um, my question was then, well, this is likely because blue whales, their populations are so much lower because they, they were hit so hard with the whaling and they have not recovered that 
they lost a lot of that genetic diversity when all those animals were killed. Right. So, Which, yeah, so basically a population bottleneck is what that's called. So you, you restrict the population to the point where you're left with a very limited number of genes left in the gene pool. And so the problem with that is that you're more likely to get what's called homozygotes. So that's the, when you have two of the same allele. And on top of that, so you have less gene diversity, which means you have less ability to be able to adapt to things that are changing in the environment um, or in, in your populations. Um, and it also um, can make things like recessive diseases where you have to have two of the same allele to show that recessive trait or you know in the, and in humans we talk about a lot of diseases are caused by that um so when you have that reduced diversity you don't have the ability to adapt and change and respond to these changes and you also may have end up having lower fitness because you have uh, possible diseases or just un a lesser fitness to be able to fight off other infections, things like that, because of that lack of diversity of, of, in your DNA. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was well summed up. Uh, thank you. So, <laughs> um, so it, it, the, genetic diversity is super important. And so, again, another hit on the blue whale, their populations are low, they have less diversity in their DNA, it seems, um, so that can have profound effects. Um, the... Uh, other interesting thing that they found was that uh, several of these loci, these specific locations, had distinctly different size ranges for each of the species. And what that means is that they could use those in future studies to be able to ID hybrids. Right. Which I thought that part was actually super cool. Mm -hmm. Like just getting that kind of as a byproduct of doing this study was really interesting. Yeah, because again, being able to detect hybrids is not easy, even with genetics. Like, it can get right. very complicated very quickly. Like, well, if is it 70% this and 30% that, or 50-50, or 60-30? Like, what does that mean? You know, is that just some diversity, or does that mean that you've actually, and it's an actual hybrid versus just being, you know, it happened a while ago in the lineage, and you're still left with some of the, the genes from that species. Like, sure. like humans now have, they've documented that we have Neanderthal um, genes in our genome right so yeah. we're, you know you didn't hybridize with the neanderthal right now but <laughs> <laughs> you have some of those in there so you know where so being able to I, be able to identify a hybrid more easily is a very um important and interesting thing that they were able to hopefully be able to do for these species mm -hmm. um and so do you want Kat, do you want to talk about the the directional thing so the what did the mitochondrial dna show so that was really interesting. So mm -hmm. the, the pattern that they found was that the hybridization was actually happening most often in one specific direction. So specifically, it was male fin whales mm -hmm. and female blue whales. Yeah, there's only one so, where it was opposite. Right, exactly. And it's interesting because just, you know, side note, but out here in the Pacific Northwest, we have um, harbor porpoise and doll's porpoise who have been known to hybridize and it was actually a really similar pattern where it was male harbor porpoises predominantly hybridizing with female doll's porpoise. So that was typically, again, it was this more directional from what they could understand. It was a more directional hybridization that was happening, mm -hmm. um, which is just really interesting for like the, the social implications of that. Right. Which um, that was really interesting to me is like, you know, why specifically the male fin whales versus the male blue whales? Like, why would they be more successful in doing that? Or are they the only ones trying it? Or, you know, thought that was really interesting. Right. And so 
I mean, I, I think we can go ahead and just go into the discussion of that and then go back to this one other point that I want to bring up from the results. But since we're already with this, you know, describing like, well, so what, why do they think that that occurs? Well, one of the goes, thing goes back to the rarer species. So mm -hmm. if you are a rarer species, like the blue whale, um, so for example, in the North Atlantic, there are 80, around 80,000 fin whales and only 2,100 to 4,000 blue whales. And specifically in Icelandic waters, there are 36,800 36, fin whales and only 3,000 blues. Right. So blues are much more rare. And so if you are a blue whale trying to find another blue whale, you are much more likely to run into another fin whale than you are to find another blue whale. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the, so, the, the cool thing with this, too, is that they, they then found that at least one discovery of a, a bat cross, right? That's the correct terminology for that. It's basically like a hybrid that was then able to reproduce. Right, and that was the other thing from the from the the results was that yeah they found a again most of the time you think hybrids as being infertile right that mm -hmm. they can't mate back but one of the individuals that they detected was a male hybrid um, that had a higher amount a seventy percent um, DNA match with fin whales um, and only thirty percent with blue whales so what they think happened there was that a hybrid mom most likely from a male fin whale and a blue whale mom, right? So now you have this hybrid mom that mated back with a fin whale father. Right. And they do, they do say too that there was another record in 1986 of a pregnant hybrid female. Mm -hmm. So that's another, another kind of piece of evidence that suggests that they are definitely fertile at the very least and are, are likely able to, you know, back cross with both, both right. of the species. Right. So the thing that was really um, important about this, though, is that so they saw the one with the fetus, right, that was pregnant. Yes, but yeah. that still doesn't mean that that fetus would be able to, first of all, be born alive. Um, and second of all, even if it is born, be reproductively active or even if they are physically reproductively active, be able to socially <laughs> be reproductively active. You right. know, do they can they get to the point of being able to actually reproduce through, you know, meeting the other animals and doing the right things and then having mating attempt and having it physically physically work because um, there are a lot of different ways that you can reproductively isolate species right if you yeah. if you have two social animals that are one's talking in one language the other one's talking in the other language it doesn't matter if their physical bodies link up just fine if they can't talk to each other mating is not going to happen mm -hmm. or you never meet each other right you're geographically isolated you could have physical one where they just can't physically do it. You could have ones where it's actually what's called post-zygotic. So this means that they can mate, then they the zygote gets created, right? The sperm and egg come together, but then something happens to the, um, the that zygote and it doesn't come to term, or it does and the hybrid is just reduced fitness and therefore doesn't keep reproducing. Right. So then do we want to do want to move from that on to why this might be potentially detrimental to blue and fin and whale populations? Right. So um, the so so again, this is why that that F2 generation or the um, this hybrid that was from a hybrid <laughs> is so important because this is documentation that it actually got to the point where it is alive, at least, um, and, and could possibly continue to reproduce. So, as Kat was saying, if it continues to reproduce, this is where the problem comes, particularly for the blue whale species. 
because if you have this, you have a 70, now uh, uh, that hybrid is a 70% fin whale and 30% blue whale. When it mates back, say again with another fin whale, or um, it would have more fin whale and less blue whale. Um, if it made it back with a blue whale, um, that would be better, I guess. But you would still have now more of this fin whale DNA going into your blue whale genome. Right. So basically, if you're losing, you're basically losing blue whale DNA as it gets mated back um, with the fin whales. And also, you're just going to lose blue whale reproductive output, right? You're not going to have blue, blue whale babies. Right, so that's the thing. You're going to end up having more consistently hybrid babies, which are not actually all blue whale DNA, obviously. Um, so right. basically, you're you know you're basically yeah, diluting the the species effectively is what's happening. Right. So, so the if you if you have that again, you're and you're reducing gen genetic diversity, and so right. again, you have lesser fewer animals. You have um, less diversity in that DNA that you have. And we talked about last week um, how specialized blue whales are and what they eat. So they're, they have a lot of things stacked up against them. And now you're adding on the fact that they're hybridizing to try to stay alive, but that may actually then make the blue whale populations go down. Right. So, I mean, you might end up with whales that can exist in the environment, but the number of true blue whales that you are left with in the environment is a lot fewer. Right. And so at some point, I mean, it, it, th there's a lot of things that could happen, but if you have this happening and fewer and fewer blue whales, the populations aren't recovering, more of them are hybridizing, you could eventually completely lose the blue whale species altogether. And now you'd have like these kind of hybrids and maybe the fin whales and maybe eventually they would all just mix and then you just have kind of one species left. Right. Um, but and I believe the blue whales have like five different subspecies. Um, yeah, I think, and it's a geogra geographic, I believe. Yeah, but, but basically this is really important because you, hybridization, you're only gonna end up with a new species, like say a fin blue hybrid species, if you have those animals only reproducing with one another over right. time. Um, but that's really not going to probably be the case in something like the ocean where there's no, there's no, there's no like place to go. Like here's the hybrid location and here's the fin whale locations. Yeah. Right? You can't barrier anything off. <laughs> right. There's no, yeah, there's no mountain ranges. Well, there's mountain ranges, but they're not ones that you can <laughs> stop them from going across because it's the ocean. Um, so it's, it's very fluid environment, right? So you can't really isolate them geographically. So this could be, uh, you know, the ending of the paper really was like, this could be a, a big problem for blue whale populations and their survivability in the future um, and being able to conserve them. And also that the hybridization is likely underrepresented. Yeah. Which, and that's the thing. I mean, like Cindy mentioned at the very beginning, you know, we don't see blue whales a lot. You know, they're, they're very difficult to find in the, in the environment. I mean, they can travel huge distances, very, you know, their range is, is pretty massive. And so again, if we're the few instances that we have here as examples, it, this is likely happening a lot more than we're even aware of. Um, and again, and, you're not going to have that 50, 50, like, Oh, that's definitely a hybrid species. Right. So, right, you know, just as you can look just like your mom, just like your dad or nothing like them <laughs> and everywhere in between genetics is a crazy thing. So what genes you get and how it 
ends up look, looking on the outside are different. Um, you know, for example, in the Bahamas, we have bottlenose dolphin and spotted dolphins that live together. Um, we see them mate, and we did document one um, uh, baby that did look like it was a hybrid. Uh, but if they don't, there's po it's possible that those animals had hybridized before, and we it didn't look distinctly like one in the middle. And then when they made it back, it just diluted those genes. And so you never really see a, you know, quote unquote, hybrid looking animal. And right. so this could be happening here where this happens more than we think. And we just can't observe it with our eyes because it's just hard to see. Yeah. And again, when it's when it's a species like the blue whale that we still, relatively speaking, know very little about. Right. It, that's going to make it even harder to visually identify a hybrid. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And because you know, we can't be like, here, let's let's take this blue whale out of the water and really look at its at its right. <laughs> this one looks a little puny. I'm not sure about that. Might be a hybrid. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's really interesting too because again, for me, when I first looked at this paper, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool, hybrids. Like that's amazing. Yeah. And then you actually start reading through the paper and you start to realize that this not is good. actually while it's right, like it's fascinating for us, but it's not a positive thing for the the, the species itself necessarily. Yeah, well, for at least the blue whale, the, the fins, like, meh, they're getting, they're getting some extra genes in there. That's It could possibly be good for them, um, but it's definitely not for the blue whales because of how bad their populations are already. Right, and I think that's the important distinction to make here is that we're not saying that that's going to, you know, it's going to kill all the whales or anything like right. that. You know, like I said, I mean, this is obviously is able to produce reproductively viable animals, but as I said before, this is really speaking more about losing that blue whale species Right. Um, diluting it to the point where it simply isn't really, really its own species anymore. Right. So that's really and, what we're talking about here rather than losing individuals necessarily. Right. And, and, you know, not having enough individuals certainly goes into helping this happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, exactly. And like you said, I mean, also okay. then having the reduced fitness, they may right. be more susceptible to other stressors that maybe they would be able to handle, you know, in normal circumstances too. So that's the other problem here. Right. Um, and so one more thing I wanted before we finish up um, was there was an alternative idea about um, why the uh, unidirectionality of the hybridization. Mm -hmm. So the one that we talked about was called the sexual sexual selection hypothesis for unidirectional hybridization. <laughs> so basically, there's the um, you know the females are mating with other males because there's fewer of their blue whale males to find. Right. Um, but the other one is the, simply the size constraint. So if remembering the size differences, and they may be the same length, but the blue whales are up to two, almost two times the size of the fin whale. So a fin whale male can mate with a, a blue whale female fairly easily. But the, what about a male, a, a male blue whale which is twice the size of a female fin whale. Right, and just think about so, that fin whale then having to support a baby that is likely right. potentially a lot bigger than a normal fin whale baby could be. Right. Yeah. So there may that, that may be that may be part of it where the, there's just simply size constraints. Um, so it may be a combination of those two things together: the you know blue whales having fewer individuals, and then also the the, the size. Um, but, you know, we just don't quite know. But I thought that was interesting as well, because, again, there can be physical, there could be behavioral differences, too, as to why one might might do the other. Um, and that's why I think we think for, for porpoises with the um, 
harbor porpoises and dolls porpoises yeah, has yeah. a little bit more to do with the behavior of their mating. <laughs> the males are a bit excited. Um, yeah, so basically, yeah, the harbor porpoise males are, are very frisky. Yes. And the doll's porpoise males are a little bit less so, comparatively speaking. So, yeah, that is the, the prevailing theory is that because they occupy a similar niche. spatial niche, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the male harbor porpoises are basically quicker off the mark. Right. Yes, would, <laughs> would be a nice way to put it. Competitive about it. Right. So they just zip yeah. in there and get their two cents in and then they're out. Whereas the, you know, the doll's porpoise males are not quite as adept at doing that. So they're just, exactly. um, yeah. And then, sneaky. and then we also kind of, you, you brought up before about behavior and which males are doing it. And is it just, is it certain males or is it all the males or, you know, right. Or, um, you know, and that's something we thought about in the Bahamas with the spotted and Atlantic Atlantic and spotted and, and bottomless dolphins um, is that, you know, it's possible that, and this has happened in other um, mammal species, terrestrial and terrestrial species, where they have this in baboons, um, where basically the males that are ostracized that can't mate with their own females will then go to mate with somebody else that, that they can convince to do it. <laughs> right. So, you know, we don't know a lot about their social workings for either of these larger whale species. So could it be that some of these males that are doing it are doing it because they they can't compete with the other males of their own species, so they're like, well, I'll take that; it's close enough, um, right. because they want to they want to reproduce. That's what their drive is. Um, right. So but then again, like you said, that also then has implications for the fitness of the species too. Like if it's actually the less successful males in their right. own species who are then hybridizing, that actually has some pretty serious implications for the success of the of the hybrid species too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So lots of yeah. There's a hybrid hybrids are just cool on so many levels um and we have everything in there from you know social aspects to physical aspects to genetic aspects of of why this happens and and what the outcome of this is for the two species you know whether it's good bad or indifferent um so this was just a really neat paper that um kind of highlighted that and on top of it on the two largest species on the planet so (laughs) pretty impressive multiple cool things um so yeah, so that was the paper. Uh, let me bring it up again. It is uh, from the Evolutionary Applications Journal, Evidence of Unidirectional Hybridization and Second Generation Adult Hybrid Between the Two Largest Animals on Earth, the Fin and Blue Whales. Now, again, with that second generation adult hybrid, the biggest thing, if they ever found a third generation hybrid, like if they could f- somehow track that second generation one and see if that one was yeah. Uh, fertile, yeah, yeah, that would be that, huge. Was, that would be fascinating. But that's so hard to do because now it's third generation. So what, what, what do you, how do you figure out what those lines are of what percentage of each species means you are first generation or second generation or third generation? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's where, again, like you said before, genetics gets complicated pretty quick. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, it's one thing where you start thinking about all these concepts, but then when you actually think about the implications of that and how you would then, you know, decipher some of that, it's pretty in depth. Yeah. It's, it gets, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> one of my, one of my friends that I worked with for a long time at the, with the wild dolphin project, um, she's the genetic person. She did all those poop samples for us and, and she's brilliant. Um, I'm just like, yep, that's, mm-hmm. I'll collect the poop for you. You go ahead and do that analyzation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, I'm good. No, you're good. It's all you. Yeah. I'll be on the social side. You do the genetic side. Then nah, we're good. Um, <laughs> this is really, really interesting what you can what you can tell um, from genetics. But again, like I said, the last thing, 
we get a lot of information out of it, but it can make it more complicated. So we can tell the difference between species, but now it's like, well, but maybe this isn't exactly how they should be in taxonomically, right? right. And we found out that spotted dolphins are actually more closely related to bottlenose dolphins than they are to other spotted dolphins. <laughs> the Atlantic. Yeah. So it can, it can, I mean, it's good science. It gives you some answers and then gives you some more. So it's a good thing. Yep. Yep. For sure. And like I said, if you haven't already, uh, make sure you go back and listen to last week's episode yep. on extreme, extreme mammals because that was, a, a, it's just a cool one. And um, we do talk about blue whales a little more in that one too. So yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. And, um, yeah. And as always, uh, email us or leave us comments as you want us to talk about something in particular. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do the next one on. We'll have to figure that out uh, in the next <laughs> week. So. But we'll find yeah, something. So maybe- yeah, for sure. And like, you know, like Cindy said, make sure that you are um, leaving comments down below. And if there's um, certain episodes that you really enjoyed, let us know that too. And if you are enjoying the podcast in general, we would love sure. for you to leave us a review and share it um, and let and us subscribe. know what you think. And submit, yeah, obviously subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> and tell your, uh, tell your friends to subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, we'll be back uh, the next time with something fun, fun to discuss. Yeah. And we will All see right. you then. Bye. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P A C M A M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.